Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in the uh, book of Micah here this morning. We're going to be in Micah chapter number 5. And uh, this morning I I wanted to uh, spend just a few moments as we worship Christ together, as we look in the Word, and um, really as we worship the Lord in the proclamation of His coming. Um, And as we look here in Micah chapter number 5, we're going to see some interesting things here. Um, but last week, if you remember, we looked at a prophecy from the book of Isaiah and uh, about the coming uh, future king of Jesus. And this week, I wanted to give you another prophecy that is found here in the Old Testament out of the book of Micah. And so let's uh, let Micah here tell us the story about this wonderful ruler uh, that will come out of the town of Bethlehem who will save his people and really show us how wonderful a Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to begin reading here, uh, Micah chapter number 5, and uh, beginning here in verse number 1. Micah writes, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shall shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will rise against them seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Micah here this uh, writes, and he gives us this prophetic message that no doubt is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Micah, uh, it's interesting to note that he was a contemporary prophet of Isaiah, and he spoke God's word to Israel at a time of great danger and darkness. Now, if you can remember the condition of Israel, as we talked a little bit uh, last week about what was going on during that time, Um, Israel was uh, living in very dark times. And uh, due to the sin of both the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah, the southern kingdom, God brought judgment on his people. And they were going to suffer a very devastating attack from the Assyrian army. The mighty Assyrian empire would sweep in and conquer God's people. Israel would be left as what Micah says in Micah chapter 1, verse number 6, a heap in the open country. And disaster would even come to the gates of Jerusalem, as he writes in verse number 12. Much of the blame, though, rested on the leaders of Israel. 
Now, these rulers, far from protecting and providing for their people, we find that they had become cannibal-like, killing and devouring their own people. Micah says about these rulers in Micah 3.3 that they eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. And no wonder that years later that the prophet Jeremiah would summarize Micah's message by quoting one of Micah's messages that describes in detail the very difficulty and darkness that the nation of Israel would face. Listen to what Jeremiah writes concerning Micah's prophecy as he quotes what Micah said in Micah 3.12. In Jeremiah 26.18, Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Think of that. Jerusalem is going to be plowed like a field. He says, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. And so when Micah wrote his prophecy here, no doubt the future of Israel was very heavy on his heart and mind when he wrote about the coming ruler. What was to become of the decrepit and crippled nation? God's answer was a ruler from a very most unlikely place, Bethlehem. We find in the book of Micah that during all of this calamity and chaos, that Micah writes about a coming ruler out of Bethlehem, and he tells of a true king whose origins are from of old and whose coming would end the wars, end the hostility, and finally bring peace on the earth and rescue his people. You know, uh, me and Adrian, we went to go pick up Jimmy. We were coming back, and we had the radio on, and Moody uh, Church was having their uh, service, and they were singing Joy to the World. And I looked over at Adrian, and I said, you know, Joy to the World is not really about Christ's birth. It's about his second coming, when Christ will restore everything the way that it's supposed to be. And that's exactly what Christ is going to do but we find here in Micah about this ruler that is going to be born in Bethlehem, but there's a greater picture beyond that. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Allow the ruler from Bethlehem to be the ruler of your life. I want to give you just a couple things here uh, as we look at this, uh, this prophecy. Number one, why Bethlehem? I say, why not Bethlehem? Notice our text here in verse number 2. Notice how Micah begins this good news. But you, remember the state of the nation of Israel at this time. Samaria is in rubble. Jerusalem is in ruins. But for someone, there's hope. Strangely, that someone is not a person, but a place. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Rather than from mighty Jerusalem, the capital Judah with its royal palace, the rescuer king would come from humble Bethlehem. Bethlehem was uh, nowhere. It was just, a, just as small as we would refer to as a jerkwater town, right? Backwoodsy out there somewhere. Not even really on the, on the map. You, you couldn't even really, you'd probably just drive right through. It's the one stoplight town, you know? 
There's not really much going on there. But this rescuer king would come from there. This small town just to the southwest of Jerusalem. And yet sometime during 700, 730 BC, Micah prophesied that this small village would be the birthplace of the Messiah. And just as Micah predicted, several hundred years before Jesus' birth, we read in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. In the providence of God, the Roman emperor had issued an order that every citizen was to return to his hometown. And so Mary and Joseph, what do they do? They leave Nazareth to travel back to Bethlehem. Now, isn't it fascinating to think about that, that while man may think they're making certain plans, they're, 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 they're putting all these things together, but yet God was ensuring that his word through Micah would be fulfilled. Notice again how Micah describes this town. Verse number two, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little, too little, to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. Bethlehem is scarcely worth counting among the clans of Judah. Yet God chooses to bring his magnificent Messiah out of this town. Why? Why? Why Bethlehem? Well, one answer is that the Messiah is of the lineage of David, and David was a Bethlehemite. Now, that's true, but it misses, I believe, the point of verse number two. The point of verse number two is that Bethlehem is small. Not that it is great because David was born there. God chooses something small, quiet, out of the way, and does something there that changes the course of, of history and eternity. Why? Because when he acts this way, we can never boast in the merits or the achievements of men, but only in the gracious mercy of God. We can't say, well, of course he set his favor on Bethlehem. Look at the human glory Bethlehem has achieved. All we can say is God is wonderfully free. He is not impressed by our bigness. He does nothing in order to attract attention to our accomplishments. He does everything to magnify his glory and his glory alone. That's it. Think about the innkeeper. No room at the inn. The innkeeper could not boast by saying, the king of kings was born at my inn because of its grandeur. Could you imagine what that innkeeper would be boasting about if he'd known a great and mighty ruler was to be born in his inn. Wow, look at me. God chose my inn. Well, of course he chose my inn. Didn't you notice we just had brand new carpet put in? Couldn't boast. If you uh, travel uh, through New Mexico and you travel west, heading on I-40, about two hours west of Albuquerque, you come through a little town called Gallup, New Mexico. And in fact, Route 66, you can travel part of old Route 66 there through Gallup, New Mexico. And there in Gallup, New Mexico is nothing really of great significance. In fact, it's one of those towns, if you're traveling through Gallup and it's dark, you want to lock your doors if you're stopping to get gas, okay? 
So as you're traveling through there, they boast about this wonderful hotel that's there in Gallup, New Mexico. And it's called the El Rancho Motel. It's a historic hotel. And their claim to fame is that a movie star stayed there once. You want to know who the movie star was? Clark Gable. Now, some of you are probably like, who's Clark Gable? Yeah. But that's their, that's their claim to fame. And they're like, you can stay here where a movie star stayed. Wow. <laughs> but can you imagine this innkeeper boasting of something like that? He couldn't. Think about the manger. God didn't choose a craftsman to make a cradle or a fancy bed. No craftsman could boast about his accomplishments. God chose a manger. It was a simple feeding trough. The deepest meaning of the littleness and insignificance of Bethlehem is that God does not bestow the blessings of the Messiah, the blessings of salvation on the basis of our greatness or our merit or our achievements. God does it so he alone receives the glory for our salvation. And that's what a great and wonderful, powerful and mighty God that we serve, that he doesn't look at our lives and think, wow, they deserve salvation. We don't. We don't deserve anything. But Jesus does, God does it all for his own glory, not our own. Here's the second thing. Who is this ruler? Notice again here in verse number two, Micah tells us more than just the birthplace of this ruler. He gives us specific details about him. No doubt the ruler is Jesus Christ, but... What do we know about him? What do you know about Christ? I'm not asking you what you learned about him in sermons or songs. What does the word of God say about him? If he is to be our ruler, we need to understand who he is. And I believe the greater our understanding of who he is is the greater of that, that our love and surrender will grow towards him to want to have him to be the ruler of our lives. Listen to what Micah tells us about this ruler that is coming. First, we learn about his family origins. Notice again in verse number two, this ruler will be one whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. What is Micah telling us here about Christ? Given that the prophecy is addressed to Bethlehem, when we think of Christ's family origins, we immediately think of King David, because David was the founding father of Israel's kingly line. He was born in Bethlehem many years before Micah's prophecy. The future ruler would be from this root. Jesus is a descendant of David, the king from of old. He has ancient royal blood. Last night we watched Amal and the Night Visitors, which is a a play about the wise men who are traveling to go to the birthplace of Christ. And they stop over in a town, and they end up at uh, this house where there's a boy there who's a cripple, and then the mom is very poor. And these wise men stop there, and they want to take shelter. And so they let him in, and the boy is asking one of the wise men, he goes, do you have royal regal blood? And the, the man says, yes, it is. And he says, can I see it? And he goes, no, you cannot see it. And he goes, well, then what's the point of having it? <laughs> but
But we think about Christ. We think about this Davidic line, this, this kingly line here. But I think Micah is telling us more. Christ's origins are far older than David, Abraham, or even creation itself. Psalm 74.12 tells us that God, my king, is from of old, using the same expression that Micah uses to describe Christ. Micah is hinting that Jesus' origins are not just Davidic, but divine. He is God, the Son, and as God, He has no beginning. He has always existed. Secondly, notice how this ruler is described and what he will do. Look at verses 4 and 5 here. Notice what he says here. We're going to see five things that, of, of this description of this ruler that will come out of Bethlehem. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. First of all, it says that he will stand. Christ will stand. He won't lie around waiting for us to serve him. He will be on his toes, alert, working for those who trust them as his shepherd. Secondly, he will shepherd his flock. He will not leave us to find our own food. He will lead us in green pastures and beside still waters. There will be no need unmet in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he will serve us in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. His good intentions for us will not be hindered by lack of strength. He does it out of his strength. The strength of the Lord is omnipotent strength. Do you ever think about how strong our God really is? He's stronger than you and I are. He has omnipotent strength. And therefore, if you are trusting in Christ, omnipotent strength is on your side. Walk behind him like a trusting sheep and he will overcome every obstacle to your purification and joy forever. Fourthly, notice that he shall be great to the ends of the earth. There will be no areas in the earth that does not know about him. Scripture reminds us that every knee will bow and confess him, Lord. The whole earth will be filled with his glory, as what the Bible tells us. And what an amazing day that will be when Christ returns to rule for a thousand years on the earth. Where he will make the earth his footstool. He will make every enemy in subjection to him. That's what Christ is going to do. And finally, at the beginning of verse 5, it says that he will be our peace. Micah actually already spoke of it, of peace in uh, Micah chapter 4, verse number 3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. One day the ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords will return and it'll make it a reality. There will be peace, real peace. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, I come to bring you what? Peace. Not as the world gives. So there is a fake peace out there that the world gives. But Jesus Christ does give us a true and real lasting peace. 
me finish this. And I end this message with a question. Do you have peace? Peace in your life. Peace in the deepest part of your soul. Before there can be peace on earth, there must be peace between us and God. You see, our unbelief and his wrath must be removed. That is our deepest need at Christmas time. To know Christ, the ruler, out of Bethlehem. Micah knew his peace was coming. He knew personally of confessing his own personal sin before God and experiencing his peace. And he describes it beautifully at the end of this prophecy. Listen to what Micah 7, verses 18 through 19 says. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Can you say like Micah that you have experienced God's peace? Is Christ's peace a reality in your life? Can you say all as well? You see, when we talk about this coming king, this ruler out of Bethlehem, yes, he came. And he came for a purpose, and that was to, for him to become sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ did his work. He accomplished the work on the cross for us. Have you repented and believed in Jesus? Have you turned to Christ for salvation? Do you have his peace? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.